0: Hello, comrade, and welcome to The Trigger Warning. Here at Queer Pressure Podcast, we just like to put everything up in the front to make sure there's nothing that's gonna make you feel uncomfortable during this episode. This episode will contain mentions of slavery, racism, racist iconography, police brutality, homophobia, and the current protests. If any of these topics are uncomfortable for you, maybe sit this episode out. If not, please join us for our discussion of The Watermelon Woman. everybody. I'm Maddie Gray. And I'm Katherine Johnson. And you're listening to Queer Pressure Podcast.
1: We are so glad you've decided to
0: join us. Queer pressure is a cr- critical. It's a hard it's a word critical. to say, uh, A critical exploration of queerness in media as an act of
1: radical self-love. So as many of you know, Black Lives Matter. And for the foreseeable future, we will be making Media selections based on our use of privilege as white queer women to boost Black queer voices and Black queer media, and using intersectionality of queer theory to analyze them.
0: The Portland Police Bureau
1: tear gassed me last night. Yeah, those. (laughs) That was my
0: list of recent events.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Do you want to tell us about? Nope. The protest last night. No. No. All right. Let's move on. Same
0: every night. They're just dicks, and it hurt, and it sucked. Anyways. What's going on with you? Uh,
1: Nothing much. Just drinking some coffee, uh, prepping for a podcast, uh, writing a book called Hermie Butter and the Amazing <laughs> Train Wizards, books one through seven, part seven, two. Seven, part two. We
0: are like 40 minutes late recording this, and mm-hmm. part of that was we started doing this bit about alternative titles, because we gave up on Harry Potter.
1: Yeah, we're breaking up. Um. Yeah. As we mentioned in our episode on Harry Potter from for this podcast, in fact, J.K. Rowling's a turf, and all of her queerness in her series is retconned, and we we just don't feel like it's a good space for us anymore. I don't want to give her any more money. There's because
0: yeah. at first we were like it's ours, it's not hers. We're still allowed to love Harry Potter, but there's no realm of that where you can still love Harry Potter without giving her money
1: yeah and i'm done with that are you drinking anything good this morning Catherine? i'm drinking i'm drinking coffee
0: black is it good coffee no oh
1: because i don't have no more cream oh no that is a travesty i drank it all oh no well what are we doing this week watermelon woman hi watermelon woman Hi. That's exactly right. We're doing The Watermelon Woman. The Watermelon Woman is a 1996 American romantic dramedy film written, directed, edited, and starring Cheryl Dunya. It also stars Guinevere Turner as Diana, Valerie Walker as Tamara, and Lisa Marie Bronson as Faye, the Watermelon Woman, Richards. It was the first feature film directed by a black lesbian. Hey! That we know of. That we know of for sure. An yeah. out black lesbian. It's considered a landmark in new queer cinema, a movement that is like queer themed independent filmmaking of the early 90s. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast. Films of new queer cinema typically share themes like. Rejection of normativity, um, the lives of LGBT protagonists living on the fringe of society. The Watermelon Woman premiered in 1996 Berlin International Film Festival, where it won the Teddy Award for Best Feature Film, and then it played at several international film festivals in New York, LA, San Francisco, Tokyo, London, and Toronto through 1997. It gets a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb, but wildly... Gets a 100% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 74% on Metacritic. That's not wild. I mean, it's wild because I've never seen a straight 100%. Toy Story has a 100%. Hot damn. Toy Story 2 has a 100%. Why don't you tell us what it's about, Catherine?
0: Um, Cheryl is a 20-something black lesbian working as a clerk in a video store while struggling to make a documentary about Faye Richards, an obscure black actress from the 1930s known for her role as the Mammies in white director Martha Page's movies. Cheryl is surprised to discover that Richards, known popularly as the Watermelon Woman, was in an interracial lesbian relationship with Paige. At the same time, Cheryl falls in love with a very cute white customer at the video store who ultimately decides to break things off.
1: So at the top of every episode, we like to do this thing where we take all of the bad, the problematic things about a particular piece of media, air it all out at the very beginning, and then set it aside so we can enjoy the movie as a whole. What kind of problematic things did you see in this movie, Catherine? I can't think of anything. I couldn't either. My my list is question mark, question mark, question mark. It's it's almost like
0: just the act of having somebody intersectional at the helm
1: makes it easy to not be problematic almost yeah usually one of our top critiques is like this is somebody outside of the queer community making a movie about the queer community or Mm -hmm. like something along those lines whereas this is like a black female director who's a lesbian writing starring editing directing this whole movie like being a part of the community that she's telling a story about. The only problematic things from the movie aren't necessarily
0: like problematic how we define it. Right. There was a big controversy about a grant they received that is from the government, but mm-hmm. you know, it was like an arts grant and then the fact that there was a sex scene in it. Um a bunch of white old men got mad about it. Um so that's controversial, but that's up to you to decide how you feel about that also it was only one tenth of their budget so who gives a fuck (laughs) and that they kind of really made fun of um the like lesbian history archives in the movie Mm, i kept seeing that that places where it was like they're like it's kind of stopped it's not just funny like it's kind of really mean to the history archives in that scene (laughs) yeah so um but those things are not problematic as we would normally define problematic for a
1: queer movie Right, right, right. Yeah. Those are more of like general taste. So the first thing I wanted to talk about in this movie was the structure of it. It's, com- it's non-traditional. It was a style actually coined by Cheryl Dunya as Dunyamentaries, which is
0: <laughs> like this fun blend well.
1: of narrative and documentary techniques. Um, something we never do anymore is we say whether or not we liked the
0: movie. Oh, right. I thought the movie was fine. I mean, I liked, I liked what it did. I like the premise, I think, yes. more than the... Um, the execution of it? The execution. I think... Yeah. it I had to watch it in two sittings, which I don't usually have to do with, like, anything we watch. I usually really like it, mm-hmm. um, but I think it is probably... When I was thinking more and more about it, and I was reading about it, and people are saying, like, this scene's so funny, and I was like, to me, that scene was really cheesy, but I think it's... Because it was the 90s. Yes. And so when there is a scene where she has a blind date. And then the date gets up to uh, do karaoke. And she's really bad at karaoke. And I was just like, this is so cheesy. Mm-hmm. Back then, you know, it hadn't been seen as much. So I think watching it now, a lot of it seems a little stupid. But mm-hmm. um, the Like premise, the comedy of it seems
1: stale to 2020 eyes.
0: Yeah. Where like uh, in B. Ruby Rich's a new queer cinema book her mm-hmm. chapter on watermelon woman was written at the time that it came out ah uh, yeah and says you know all this stuff is really funny and i was like i didn't find it that funny it felt like a kind of i keep using the word cheesy but it felt very cheesy to me mm-hmm. um where the more dramatic aspects i was very interested in and where i thought she was a really good filmmaker i didn't think she was a great actress
1: Mm-mm. yeah and so that kind of took me out of. i mean of she it. was fine she was totally passable but like Not like like a spectacular actress, no.
0: Kept pulling me out. Right. I was more aware of it as a screenplay as opposed to just like watching it. I just want to get that out of the way first because it's like everything else we've watched. Like Pariah last week, we were just like, this is an amazing movie, you know? Yeah, Pariah was amazing. I don't don't know if we've had a movie so far that I've been like lukewarm on.
1: Oh, Um, interesting.
0: Yeah, but I think it's less to do with the actual movie and more to do with the timing of it and being the first. And like a lot of people, you know, Pariah is the grandchild of this movie Mm -hmm. when you are able to make more iterations of the same kind of concept of a movie. It gets better and it gets better and it gets better. Yeah. So I was just going to get that out of the way first. Totally. Yeah. It's it's still, everyone should
1: watch it. I think it's important. I think the premise is very good. The premise is great. And the structure is really unique and interesting. Um, It, like I said before, it blends this documentary style with this narrative arc and presents itself as this narrative about a documentary but because it contains snippets of documentary film project the fourth wall is a lot softer than a traditional narrative but see that's something i didn't like about it <laughs> yeah that muddiness was a little bit um like it was definitely unique and i was glad i saw it but i don't know for a fact that it worked i i
0: I think that there's something to doing a documentary within a movie, I think. Mm -hmm. And like all of her um, like monologues to the camera and stuff, I thought were great. And yes, it's more, you know, how most people are like into cinematography. I'm into editing in movies. I don't give a fuck about cinematography. Uh, And um, she did try to mimic some documentary and editing styles Mm -hmm. that I felt were clunky and slowed things down especially like the fades to black at the end of a scene yeah easy
1: a (laughs) lot of times they were very abrupt and like didn't feel like they were the end of the scene or yeah yeah um so I think I think
0: it's a great script I think it shot well I think that the acting and the editing needed more work because Mm -hmm. she did do everything herself and I think she could have benefited from bringing someone else in but I think there's I don't think that hurts the movie enough to say that like anything really negative about the movie, because I think it's yeah. more of a statement by her saying, no, I'm going to do all of this on my own. And I'm like, fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's had a big it been...
1: endeavor to undertake. And she fucking did it.
0: Yeah. Like I, if I had been like a white man, I would have been like, you need to diversify your crew, have more than one person in the room, but whatever. She wanted to do it. So she did it. More power to her. It's her fucking choice if she wants to edit and star in and write and direct a movie. I do not suggest this to others. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, especially I because that was like... Because it was so long ago, it was more than... A
0: little over 20. was, yeah. what, 1996? I would always suggest having more than one person in leadership roles. But I I think it's just such a, like, fuck you to the system that she's like a black uh, lesbian and is like, I'm going to do it all. Yeah.
1: Anyways structure (laughs) that was the structure uh i mean she like she's got this compelling mixture of fiction and like what you think for most of the movie is non-fiction Mm -hmm. did you watching it think that faye richards was real when i first started
0: watching it i was like no obviously this is fake and then there was a point that i started to think maybe this is
1: real because the archival footage is so good yeah, I felt the same way. I was like, I don't remember ever hearing about, like, a white lesbian director who had a well, black lover. Like, <laughs> that part is actually
0: based on real people. That's um, awesome. I just had yeah.
1: never, ever heard about that. Yeah.
0: What was her name in the movie? The Martha Page. Martha Page is based on Dorothy Arzner, who um it was found out much later in her life. I think after she was dead, probably, that she had had like a live-in long time female partner who was like a Mm. choreographer and so they based her on her dress her that way um and that was another interesting aspect of the movie because while it's not mainstream history there's this whole you know subculture of trying to guess who was gay you know Mm, Yeah. James Dean. A lot of people think he was bisexual. Catherine Hepburn, people thought, you know, there's... And most famously, Cary Grant is... I feel like it's fact by now that he was gay. Mm. But yeah, there's a lot of them, but it's all white film stars. And so... I thought that was a very interesting aspect because we very, very, very rarely talk about the film stars of color during the golden era, especially when we go back and go, look, they were all gay. And so part of this movie was showing um, the damaging side of that, where at the very end, when we find out Faye Richards, while she did date this white female director, that was, you know, just a short part of her life. And... Mm -hmm. This white female director, even though she put her in movies, always put her in mammy roles, Um, Mm -hmm. even though she was a very talented actress and they were in love, didn't celebrate her and her potential, you know, even though to the main character, to Cheryl, this is huge. She's like, this is my icon now. I need to know everything about this relationship. She tracks down Faye Richards, basically her widow. They weren't married because, you know, the 90s. Yeah. Who who's another black woman and she writes back to the main character and says how disappointed she is at how much real estate she's giving to the Dorothy Arzner character in this story. And she's like yeah. you have to know that that's not what her life was about.
1: Yeah, that was one one part of her life and like that's not what she would want to be remembered by.
0: Yeah, and I'm saying this from her partner's perspective, not from my own. They as people of color Need to stick together and need to be sharing each other's stories and not focusing on the white aspects of it, which is exactly. then very interestingly mirrored
1: in Cheryl's story at the same time with her mm-hmm. uh girlfriend, absolutely yeah. when I was watching this, I at first like was totally willing to suspend all my disbelief like at first. I was, like, ready to believe that Faye Richards and Martha Page were real people. Oh, yeah. I forgot Um, that that was your original question. (laughs) It's okay. Um, And usually when I'm watching these movies for this podcast, I'm either doing research through the movie. Like, I'm looking up certain terms or things that i don't understand and so i was looking for pictures of martha page and faye richards and i couldn't find anything and i was like what the hell yeah this world has turned their backs on these women (laughs) and then uh about three quarters of the way through the movie i run into this thing that says faye richards the fictional character from the watermelon woman and i was like oh so i knew that by the end but matt when we were watching it together when that final slide came up and it was like faye richards never existed you make your reality out of whatever you want yeah Um, he was like what the fuck (laughs) freaked (laughs) out he was like what why why'd you make me get emotionally invested in these people that don't exist?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I never fully thought they existed, but that's because like I studied film and TV and I like yeah. have a special interest in queer Hollywood, so I was like I would have heard of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only thing that gave me a little bit of pause was the archival footage was just so good.
1: It and, really um, was.
0: It was like a friend of hers who was a photographer created all of this archival footage. And it was just fantastic. And given the low budget of the movie and the time, I was just like, there's no way that they made all this. And they did. And it, it looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess the Martha Page was mm-hmm. Cheryl's real-time partner and was, like, oh, that's the producer. Very funny. Yeah, and I was like, that's really cute. Because that's a fun character to get a dress up as. Oh, definitely. Is, like, a 1940s lesbian filmmaker. Like, what a fun fucking outfit
1: to wear. <laughs> that's especially funny because they keep making comments about how, like, Martha Page was not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> so? She had a cool vibe. She did
0: have a cool vibe, but that is also interesting that you know Cheryl's real life white partner, playing the pro- playing the director and was also the producer when this movie kind of lambasts the white women in your life who mm. aren't gonna support your art. So yeah, exactly, um, I would assume that that partner of hers was a really good person <laughs> and understood all of the nuances of the story they were telling
1: i would hope so yeah
0: i don't think cheryl would have like you know made a movie that was subtly about like you don't support me and then had her produce it and be in it
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would have been one way to mm-hmm. out somebody for their privilege yeah uh, <laughs> let's talk about the history behind this movie shall we sure katherine have you ever heard of minstrel shows
0: Yes. Yeah. Something about something I forget, but isn't it like white people would put on blackface and play songs and stuff?
1: Most of the time. Yes. So a minstrel show was a form of entertainment developed in the early 19th century in America in which mostly white actors, sometimes black actors would be parts of minstrel shows as as well, would put on blackface and perform these caricatures of black people and stereotypes. And honestly, this is where a lot of stereotypes come from because minstrel shows, although they were introduced in the 1830s, they survived professionally until 1910. And they went on through with like amateur performances all the way through the 1960s. So these are not distant past. No, none of this is nothing. So minstrel shows features featured plenty of stock characters. So the slave, the dandy, the provocative biracial wench, the black soldier, old darky, and the mammy, which is something that shows up in this movie. The mammy is a stereotype for a generally older, generally overweight, generally dark-skinned black woman who works for a white family and nurses the white family's children. This is a caricature that's 100% rooted in slavery, the yeah. mammy was often portrayed as this loyal, maternal, non-threatening, obedient, submissive woman. And while she's devoted to her white family, she often treats her own family quite poorly and is usually um, hostile towards black men.
0: With the uh, most common example being Gone with the Wind. That is a...
1: Yeah, they actually yeah. mention that in the movie. Yeah.
0: With Hattie McDaniel. Mm-hmm. Who, and there's this very famous story around... Gone with the Winds that I don't even know if it's true. They were going to premiere it in, where does it take place, Georgia? Yeah, so they're going to premiere it there, but because it was the South, they wouldn't allow the Black actors to attend. And then Clark Gable, the main character, in the movie said he would not come to the premiere if they weren't allowed to come and somebody talked him into it anyways and it, like, it's a very famous story everyone tells but i don't know how true it is i think it's just like a white savior thing probably
1: yeah most likely
0: but she ended up i think being the first black woman to win an oscar hattie mcdaniel um, Wow. but she wasn't allowed to win an oscar so they made her this it was like a statuette i think it was like a little plaque jesus um, but That's our most famous depiction of a mammy was Mm -hmm. Hattie McDaniel in Gone with the Wind.
1: And this caricature, the mammy, and caricatures like it, rose to prominence during the Reconstruction era, so between 1863 and roughly 1877, uh, following the Civil War as this form of uh, it's it's called historical revisionism, where um, fake nostalgia. White people decided to reinterpret and legitimize the legacy of slavery and racial mm-hmm. oppression. Yeah, another really good example of this mammy character, and actually really interestingly ties into current events, is Aunt Jemima. <laughs> <laughs> She's gone. Uh, Aunt Jemima is a really good example of the mammy stereotype. Uh, on June 17th, Quaker Oats did announce that Aunt Jemima will be rebranded with a new name and a new image in response to the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but have you noticed how much the right has exploded in anger about this?
0: Yo, I don't even buy Aunt Jemima. Everyone's just calm down. I know.
1: Same. I buy Kroger brand. I buy the log cabin shit. There was um, a young woman at a Trump rally in Arizona She's a Northwestern State University graduate named Reagan Escude, who bemoaned this Aunt Jemima thing. Um, Why? She went on to say, "Who cares? Oh my God, who cares? <laughs> I know. Maybe they'll
0: make the new bottle look like a dog or like a cat.
1: That'd be Maybe. fun. Yeah, or a tree." Escude said that Aunt Jemima's been canceled by the left. <laughs> Yeah, correct. We canceled her. And if you didn't know, she said, Nancy Green, the original first Aunt Jemima, was the picture of the American dream. She was a freed slave who went on to be the face of the pancake syrup we all love and have in our pantries today. She fought for equality, and now the leftist mob is trying to erase her legacy. And might I mention how privileged we are as a nation if our biggest concern is a pancake syrup? let I'm me not just clarify a something in reality aunt jemima was a fictional character first created in a minstrel show this is a minstrel show by chris rutt a popular racist from the 19th century and nancy green who played the first aunt jemima her picture was taken as the first aunt jemima she was never compensated for her image That's the American dream. That's the American dream, right? She worked the rest of her life as a housekeeper because the Aunt Jemima company did not give her any money.
0: I feel like they owe reparations. Do they give money to the family at this point?
1: Actually, her family and the um, subsequent Aunt Jemimas, they're kind of upset that their family legacy is being erased. Um, They did say something about, like, yeah, this is a negative part of our family history, but it's still our history. Um, So there is some pushback from the family but i think that there should absolutely be reparations for there should be reparations yeah for nancy green's descendants for sure
0: and i think people of color at the grocery store seeing that every time they go shopping for maple syrup outweighs the like the personal history of the family agreed yeah there's other ways we can find to celebrate that history. And reparations would be number one on that list. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, people shouldn't have to see, like, Jim Crow iconography.
1: They shouldn't have to see (laughs) this caricature from minstrel shows every time they go to the grocery store. They should not. That's just a reminder of, like, the legacy of blackface and the legacy of slavery. Like, it's not necessary. We don't need this. That being said, fixing the Aunt Jemima syrup company is not the same as creating structural change that actually benefits people defunding the police like defunding the
0: police (laughs) abolishing the police fire them. that's more
1: it's very performative
0: if you ask me get a job get a real fucking job become a janitor become a teacher become a plumber get a real fucking job sorry they were really naughty last night I know we already talked about Gone with the Wind, but something you were saying about like the revisionist history. Mm-hmm. Similarly, it's kind—it's of, very similar to like colonial film theory where okay. we don't see colonialism. We see it as kind of romantic now because there was such a push to make these movies like Out, uh, out of Africa, those kind of movies that like really romanticized the colonial era and showed mm-hmm. white people as like, Oh, they were totally a part of it, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Gone with the Wind is very similar to that for um pre-Civil War the South. Like the very name Gone with the Wind is describing this what they saw as, you know, the the antebellum that disappeared with the wind overnight mm-hmm. when they lost the Civil War. And so it's absolutely trying to romanticize these like Southern Bells. And what they believed were these loving relationships with their slaves. And that's what they're trying to show in these movies is like Rhett Butler and I actually forget what their mammy is called, but Hattie McDaniel's character have kind of this like fun, jokey relationship. And um, they seem to be a part of the family, even though they're treated terribly, but they are just portrayed as like, like stupider than the white people, but happy And very loyal Mm -hmm. to the white people. Um, And so, you know, in a time like the 1930s when this movie came out, when you don't have the internet and you don't have access to information, you see this and anyone, anywhere could see this and be like, oh, well, is that what it was really like? Especially because that movie is very gorgeous. Like, especially given the era is why it's so enduring as like an epic, even with its faults is that it's just so beautiful to look at. One of the first movies like on film, uh, color film. But yeah, it complicates things. It And that's what we're talking about with revisionist history. And so mm-hmm. this character, Faye Richards, was one of these mammy characters. So even though she was living out her dream of being in, you know, the pictures, she's taking part in something that's really degrading to herself, not by mm-hmm. any fault of her own. That's not what I'm trying to say. But like the fact that like it's her own lover that's ha- doing this to her. Yeah. It's very tragic and it's not something that's ever really talked about. And that's one of the big points in the movie that gets her interested is she couldn't even find Faye Richard's name for a long time. She was just known as the watermelon woman. And often mm-hmm. they're just never even credited, these black actresses.
1: Yeah, that was a big thing that she kept coming across was that like she only could find her like pseudonym, the watermelon woman, because the black actors in these movies were never listed in the credits. And whenever she would, because this is pre-internet, whenever she would
0: go to libraries and things trying to find the Watermelon Woman, and she would ask, do you have anything on the Watermelon Woman? And they'd be like, no. How about Faye Richards? No. How about Martha Page, you know, the white Mm -hmm. director? They're like, oh, yeah, we have that. And so the only time she could find, like, any information about her was, like, as a footnote in, like, Martha Page chapters. Yep, exactly. One of the interesting moments that I think was actually one of the bigger themes of the movie, even though it was so subtly mentioned. She orders a book called like, Lesbians in Hollywood and points out the author's name, and it's a man, and she's like, I wonder if he's a lesbian. And that <laughs> yeah. gave me a big laugh, because here she is, a black lesbian making a movie about a black lesbian. And it is so endemic to academic texts about LGBTQIA and also intersectional topics that it's just a bunch of white men talking about it and they right. just don't get it and that's why when she gets this like hollywood lesbians book it's like the watermelon vol- the watermelon woman is not gonna be in there right because white men have taken over this space um so that's why it is like so important that she's the one making this movie yeah exactly and writing about this stuff
1: and that's why it's so important that she's, like, the whole
0: creative team of this movie. Mm-hmm. Something uh, B. Ruby Rich wrote in her chapter about this movie was that at the time that this came out, it's around the same time as, like, Clerks. Um oh, right. Yeah. And so it was a very common trope that these men would have their characters working in video stores which all the the main characters in this show all work in a video store and that's how she gets her hands on the tape she wants for her documentary and that was a very common trope at the time that like people characters who are trying to break into the indie sphere work at video stores but it was always like men it was you know kevin smith and she wrote that this was a huge transgressive act for her to put herself into that space
1: Mm-hmm. That
0: a black lesbian working at a video store because she wants to become an indie filmmaker and she always introduces herself as a filmmaker. She does, even though yeah. she's hasn't
1: officially made
0: any films yet. Yeah. But I mean, that makes me cringe. I hate when people call themselves filmmakers, but um, <laughs> white men do it all day every day when they haven't done shit. So Absolutely. more power to you.
1: I have one more major point, the portrayal of whiteness in this movie, which personally, so... First of all, there are only a few white characters to the core plot of The Watermelon Woman. Yeah. Which was honestly refreshing to see as a white viewer because their whiteness in the story was something that was non-normalized for the plot. Yeah. But also, they kind of served as caricatures. True caricatures. True characters, for sure. But, like, yeah. they're doing oh, I to see these saying. white characters what minstrel shows have done. Yeah. That's
0: interesting. Because right? all of the black characters are flushed out.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the white characters are not. So first off is Martha Page, uh, the fictional mm-hmm. female director who had an affair with Faye Richards or a love affair. I don't know. What What do you call that? A love affair. A love affair with Faye Richards. A relationship. But like we've said so far, like this was a woman who was not celebrating her partner, but rather keeping her down um, and it becomes clear throughout the movie that the two fell out and that Faye did not want to be remembered at the time of her death for her relationship with Martha Page. Then we have the clit archivist, which I know you said that it was kind of offensive to the history people, but I thought it, it was, was really so funny. funny. It was, it was really so funny. funny. I didn't say it was offensive. I said people think
0: it was offensive. Oh, I
1: see. That because it was sense.
0: a really biting critique, but it was actually very funny.
1: Yeah. So the... This is a rule-obsessed woman with the Center for Lesbian Information and Technology, also called CLIT, who ultimately kicks Cheryl out of CLIT for taking recordings of their archived photographs of Faye
0: Richard and Martha Page. She kept saying, like, organization takes time and we're just volunteers. And like she just said it every couple minutes.
1: Yeah. And she would be like, oh, yeah, we have stuff on Martha Page. And then she'd just like dump out an entire file box. Yeah. And then there's Camille Paglia, who is that cultural expert that we see that's interviewed by Cheryl for her filmmaking project, who inaccurately describes the mammy stereotype as something that's akin to like this sexualized goddess, whereas legitimately the mammy stereotype is desexualized that's why she's like this overweight buxom motherly figure
0: yeah this this woman just goes on and on and she keeps talking about her italian history like Mm -hmm. every two sentences and it gets so this is actually very deft writing because it gets to a point where she's talking about that famous picture of like that little boy eating watermelon that Mm -hmm. um, is offensive and she said i don't know why that's offensive like I think he looks like he's enjoying his watermelon. I love watermelon. Watermelon's the same color as the Italian flag, so maybe I'm, you know, biased. And this is like the tenth time she's mentioned being Italian, mm-hmm. and it's uh, but it's this portrayal of white
1: people trying to make it about them. Absolutely, <laughs> when it's not about them, and yeah, it's a parody version of this actual person, Karen Paglia, yeah, who uh is a narcissist in this movie. Um, she's this narcissistic white film theorist nonsensically trying to appropriate black yeah. culture for her own ends. That role was actually offered to be Ruby Rich.
0: The, oh um, really? Yeah but she had I forget what she said but she had something else she had to go do and she really regrets it but um, so the writer of New Queer Cinema was originally offered that role.
1: God damn. Yeah
0: there's a lot of Uh,
1: lesbian women from like the industry that make cameos in this movie now i actually did look up this woman she's bonkers Catherine. the woman who plays her or who she's based on she's playing herself like that's her real name oh and she's bonkers Uh uh-oh yeah she's Gender critical. She's like hyper. She like she's hyper um, focused on like the sex factor of transgenderism. But she also says that she identifies as transgender, but she doesn't use he him pronouns or anything like that. Like she doesn't believe in that. She says she's transgender because she never identified with being a female, but also presents as female. Like it's it's it wild.
0: Not, I don't want to tell people what they are, but typically that I don't would either. Be
1: non-binary. I don't know what. She's trying to get at, like yeah. I'm. I'm. I don't doubt that. Like she doesn't identify, like, with the biological sex or what what she was assigned at birth. But like mm-hmm. she doesn't. She's not an activist for trans people. She, in fact, is anti. She's very turfy. Honestly, yeah.
0: it sounds like when you know, straight feminists were calling themselves lesbians because they didn't mm-hmm. want to date guys because they were mad at guys.
1: Yeah, and she's a libertarian who identifies as transgender, but also supports- We don't
0: supports- like libertarians here. No, we do not.
1: <laughs> Catherine, let me tell you how bonkers this lady is. Okay. She supports pedophilia. Okay, in what context? <laughs> Lowering the age of consent to 14. She okay. supports some forms of child pornography. Why? And says that fondling erotically at any age is fine. Huh. <laughs> was like what is this person odd uh opinions to share so publicly i know she's like written about these things too Ooh. anyway oof only just wanted to let you know how bonkers this person was she also thinks that global warming is a myth (laughs) let's i have a friend for her oh yeah jk rowling
0: noise did you see the stephen king thing yes (laughs) yes <laughs> for anyone who hasn't seen it jk rowling had these like tweets talking about how much she likes stephen king they've always kind of had this like flirty twitter relationship and uh stephen king like commented and was like i believe in like the rights of trans women or that like a,
1: a trans he, woman is all a woman. he posted was trans women are women
0: yeah and she deleted him and blocked him and deleted all her tweets about him
1: Mm-hmm. and it was what like a turf
0: and it's like she's just digging her own grave because some people are arguing like no 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 she's just really into biological sex and blah, blah 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 and it's like no that 100% proved that it's she's anti-trans
1: mm-hmm the fact that she would just like delete this person who she says she respects yeah because they said one thing that she disagrees with like mm-hmm. that's just like the peak white feminism anyways anyways next? speaking of white feminism Mm-hmm. Shall we talk about Diana, the girlfriend?
0: Yeah, she—that actress was actually also in Go Fish, which is like a very um popular lesbian movie from New Queer Cinema that we have not watched yet. But um, oh,
1: I didn't but, know that.
0: So she's making the rounds in these early '90s movies.
1: Although Diana is not Cheryl's usual type, she finds herself falling in love with her. But Cheryl's best friend Tamara. Disapproves of this coupling and accuses Cheryl of wanting to be white and Diana fetishizing black people. Mm-hmm. Diana is able to set up this interview with Mar- Martha Page's sister for the project, but the interview goes very badly. And as soon as Cheryl suggests that Martha and Faye were in a relationship, the sister asks them to leave, at which point Diana makes a point to comfort and apologize to the white woman rather than her girlfriend. And ultimately, Mm -hmm. Cheryl breaks it off. It's a little bit after that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because that shows right there that she doesn't truly believe in the uh, message of the project over Mm -hmm. white comfortability. That even though her girlfriend is like very upset about something, she doesn't back up her girlfriend. She's like, well, you can't be mean to a white lady the last conversation they have is they're like in bed together and um diana says something about how she had black boyfriends before and cheryl's like what did your parents do and she's like oh they're liberals like they don't care actually like my my cousin married an ex panther and then cheryl like laughs or something Mm -hmm. and they almost get into this fight she's like what did you mean by that and you know cheryl made that noise about it like it was just a reaction and so mm-hmm. that's when it's becoming obvious that this is what tamara is saying is true that she's one of those like well-meaning but oblivious white people who doesn't get that like you're not you're not uh, woke because someone in your family married
1: an ex panther like that's not something mm-hmm. to put on your resume it starts off with like diana saying something about having had a black boyfriend and then she's like oh no two no three like yeah she's just like racking them up yeah so what tamara said about this girl fetishizing black people it's starting to kind of come solidify solidify the fact that you know this is a girl who i don't know i don't know how to say it because she doesn't she doesn't support her partner in times when it's important the whiteness is more important the whiteness is more important she hasn't, and the white comfortability is more important to her than her girlfriend and that's toxic as shit i think this
0: is still very common even with people who can be married to people of color that mm-hmm. you love this person and you think that you're anti-racist because you love this person but there's still that little barrier you haven't gotten through yet that like mm-hmm. yeah so there's this movie called bell from 2013 and it was about this is a true story about a white aristocrat who'd had an affair with a slave and they had a love child. And um, went, and I think her name was Belle. I think that's what the movie's named for. It's, it's been seven years since I've seen this movie. But um, he came and found his child and brought her into his home. And they never really had a relationship because he was always off at sea. He was like an officer or something. He dies and... She hasn't been married yet, but she's come up in aristocracy. And her best friend is, like, a a white woman. And the question is, are we going to be able to get her married? Or Mm. is she going to become the, like, house manager to, like, never get married? Um, Because in all ways, she's exactly the same as the people around her, except her skin color. And then she starts to get this suitor I can't totally remember. I think there's, like, two suitors. One of them is, you know, rich, and the other's not. And everyone's so excited that this rich guy likes her. But it's exactly the situation where he always would say, like, I love you in spite of your skin color. And
1: Mm. I remember I
0: went and saw it with my mom, and to her, at first, she didn't see what was wrong with that, you know? It's like, oh, how nice of him. And, like, just the same way as everyone in the movie. But then this other suitor of hers proved like i don't love you in spite of your skin color i love you because of your skin color you know Mm -hmm. and um my mom was like oh i see you know like she got the difference there because we're led to believe that it's okay to be like i love you in spite of your skin color as if that's something negative but um sorry i just suddenly remembered that because it's such a good representation of what's going on in this girl's head Mm -hmm. because she's like i love you in spite of this instead of I celebrate you for this. That movie is kind of like a like a Jane Austen novel but about a black woman, so I would highly recommend to anybody who likes Jane Austen mm-hmm. novels.
1: I was just going to say that like one thing I cannot stand about white liberal people is when they say something like I can't see color or mm-hmm. I don't see color because that in and of itself is erasure of you know, the experience of somebody who is a person of color who, like, you don't see their quote-unquote color and therefore don't see their experience and the historical trauma. I think a better way to think about it, if you are a white person who doesn't understand why that's a problematic thing to say, is how about we recognize each other's differences, acknowledge them, and celebrate them? Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's really important, like, it's it's really important not to erase somebody's history and somebody's experience just because it makes you more comfortable. And as queer people,
0: also, before I go into that, I want to say there's no division between queer people and people of color. That's as if you're saying that, like, there aren't queer people of color. But to those of us white queer people, that should be something we can understand wholeheartedly because um, I don't put up with anybody who wants to erase that part of me and says like oh I don't see your you know like I don't care about your sexuality you're still a person like no I'm I'm a better person than you because of my sexuality because I've had to go through things that you haven't and I have more metal so and also my queerness respect is a big me. part of who I am yeah. it's a huge part of who I am when it's something that's not normalized it's you're identified as that your whole life you can't turn around and then be like well I'm not going to identify you that way
1: it's like it's too late that's my identity. I get to decide how that looks and how I present, and whether or not I use that as an identifier. You don't. It's not your place to erase that yeah. for me.
0: So then you get someone like Cheryl, who's not just black, not just a woman, not just a lesbian, but an intersection of all of these different things, and she has to find a way to celebrate her identity and has done so in this Mammy character. And that's a lot of the end of the movie is Cheryl doing this monologue about, you know, kind of being told you shouldn't be focusing on the relationship with her and the director or, like, even her being in the pictures because, like, that wasn't her whole life. There was Mm -hmm. so much more to her life. Um, But then Cheryl is saying, like, this idea of her, of this wonderful actress who was a lesbian who had a, a... a torrid affair with a female director. She's like, that's my hero. And like, that's, she's everything to me. Which I can see because she's sitting at all these intersections. It's not like there's other people to identify with. Yeah. So, and then we find out at the very end that this person doesn't even exist. She had to make her up for herself. Yeah. So.
1: Because there, there wasn't anybody. That we know of. There isn't anybody that we know of that was a queer black lesbian at this time that she can actually identify with there probably was but like we just don't know definitely but like yeah things like that were not talked about in the 30s and certainly not publicized so this um this i think actually
0: ties into what we have been talking about with giving up on harry potter lately Mm -hmm. of um any sadness you feel if you feel like you want to give up on harry potter like us um any sadness you feel about that should be transformed into what can I make to fill up this hole um yeah. where she you know didn't see herself in stories and so she wrote like this story for herself and I think that's fantastic and that's what everyone should be doing absolutely especially right now should be a call to action what are you going to use your call to action to do what's well, gonna be my call to action mm-hmm I don't know right now. I is getting tear gassed
1: every night. Um, yeah. I mean, that in and of itself is kind of an action. Not even kind of, Catherine. It's an action. <laughs> Going and getting tear gassed for this movement is a big and important role of this movement.
0: Um, but I would just like to remind everybody that this, if you're not doing anything every day to help this movement you're not doing enough um there's plenty to do from home even if it's just Mm -hmm. posting because I've talked to so many people that they said it makes such a difference when they know it's somebody they know out there you know um it becomes personal when you're if instead of sharing something you write something yourself about how you Mm. feel about this that's yeah If you can write, be writing long Facebook posts as often as you can about how you feel about this. Do your research. Write letters to Congress people, but actual letters, not just copying, pasting, because they have
1: uh, filters. Even if all you add is one sentence, it gets through that filter. filter. It's really important to just add one sentence. It will take you five seconds. And yeah, and like, if you can't, if you're not a writer,
0: you're not a big writer, go buy a stack of books. Um, go do the, your, the education, find out what books you should be reading and just be educating yourself every single day, because it's easy to get listless. If you're not hearing these stories every day, that's what keeps me going out every night is that I'm, I have these opportunities to go listen to black speakers every day. And most mm-hmm. of us don't have a lot of diversity in the voices around us. So yes. it's very, very easy to just kind of be like, oh, I believe in it, but I want to go to this party today, you know, and it's, this movement is so important and people are getting shot at tear gas every night, but I can walk away from it anytime I want and my life will go back to normal. Yeah. But that's not true for the people of color in my community. And that's why we need to be fighting every day. The government thinks that we're going to lose interest and that's why they're not doing anything. So we yeah. have to prove them wrong. You cannot just calm down. It has to be
1: every day seek out petitions um listen to black voices on i don't know twitter on everywhere that you can like look up your favorite black author what they're saying about what's yeah. going on right now uh look at the best selling uh books on race right now um most of them are sold out actually
0: yeah yeah But at the very, very least, be listening to a Black voice every day because that's what's going to keep you going. And the ways to help are going to suddenly be illuminated. You're going to suddenly see this is my avenue to help. Um, And yeah, watching movies, go help people register to vote. Mm -hmm. Be learning about your local government and your budgets. When's your budget meeting coming up? Who's deciding it? What kind of votes do you need? Um, What are the leaders in your community saying that are your demands and there's always marches all the time that are happening during the day and you can do a little bit of research and you can find which ones are safe if you do not want to run into police i like i fucking promise that there are ones that you can go to if you don't want to run into police and Mm -hmm. if you're feeling a little brave i have not been arrested and i've been out almost 30 days so there's ways to do
1: this and if you need help um i mean we're happy to help you out. Like, I don't know how much help we can provide. We're we're just, you know, two white women in Seattle and Portland. But if you don't know where to start, just send us a DM on Twitter. Send us a Facebook message. We'll try to help you out in whatever capacity that we can, you know. <laughs> um. And if I don't know where to start looking for something, uh, I will reach out to the people who I know who are organizers. Like whatever i can do to you know help don't, push this movement don't dm your friends of color no god asking
0: what to do unless you are doing it in a friendly way of like saying hi how are you doing lately that's about it <laughs> like
1: e- checking even in. then like i'm just unless they're your friend of color is actually an organizer yeah don't ask them what to do
0: yeah but like but there's it's not their place
1: <laughs> I mean it's not
0: your place to ask them there's no hurt right now in just checking in with your friends and asking them how they feel and sitting and listening and Mm -hmm. the only thing you respond with is you know like that like is terrible and that is not fair and like how does that make you feel not saying your own pieces about it you know like not trying to relate it to yourself Um, you can send money to your black friends. Reparations are a real thing. Also, it doesn't even hurt to just get on Facebook and ask my friends of color, how can I help amplify your voices? Hmm. Um, It might be that you have a friend who's doing a a podcast and they need viewers and they need someone to help share it. And that can be something you do to help is just share a podcast episode. So yeah. there's there's so much to do. It's easy to get educated on what to do. You should be doing something every single day. And on
1: that note, with our local governments trying to crack down on things, like the government really does believe that we're just going to fizzle out, mm-hmm. that this movement is a temporary blip in their radar. Um, for instance, my forking mayor, Jenny Durkin, who's a fucking pig, uh, just called for the resignation and or impeachment of Kashama Sawant, who's been marching with us Jesus, because Christ. she's been marching with
0: us. It's disgusting. In Portland, Ted Wheeler, our mayor, is our commissioner of police, so he's literally a pig. So, okay, I wasn't going to talk about the beginning of the episode, but, yeah, last night, this is day, like, 31, 32 of protesting. We were actually going to mm-hmm. take the night off. Like, my friend was dying my hair and because um, it was, like, a Tuesday. Tuesdays usually aren't that lit and my friends were out at this march in north portland where usually um the clashes happen downtown at the justice center and Mm -hmm. they suddenly text us and say we marched it was from like a park where there were speakers to the north precinct um and the second they got there the riot cops were already out the sun wasn't even down yet and the second they marched up to them they announced it was Um, an unlawful assembly which is something that usually happens much later in the night after they have reason to say that it's always stupid reasons but um literally they were just marching they had absolutely no legal grounds to call it an unlawful assembly and so i (laughs) jumped in the shower (laughs) and got the dye out of my hair and uh we went to my house got dressed and then we're like where do we go where do we go and it was so hard finding where to go because everything was i guess just popping off And um, we got there and we had only been there for like 10 minutes when we're right up at the front with my friends and the police said this has been declared a riot. And I have never heard them say that before. I don't, I've been at some that have gotten really rowdy that they might have like afterwards said was a riot, but I've never been there when they declared it a riot. And... Um, there was nothing different happening last night than usual nights. There were people throwing water bottles. They never reached the police officers. The police officers are in full riot gear. If you believe that having a water bottle thrown at you in full riot gear means you can hurt people. You don't belong in a civilized society. And then somebody shot off some fireworks. It was like a little one, like one of those like tubes, Mm -hmm. um, just into the air. And then that's when they tear gassed us. And I got this kind of incredible video last night because they were like projectile tear gas canisters. And I've been tear gassed five times before, but um never terribly. Just like like I can feel a bit of a burn. My skin is a little like prickly and like I'll wake up the next morning and have like a cough. But we were just surrounded with these tear gas canisters and we were walking away and then suddenly I just like It was in my eyes and my face and like in my chest and i've been having some chest pain lately i think related to allergies and it was i felt like i wasn't breathing um the only thing that kept me from going into a panic attack is that i have gone to enough therapy to know that like your chest is going in and out that means you are breathing just keep doing that even if you Mm -hmm. are like convinced you're not breathing you are breathing and um it was just a war zone and i have this video where at one point I'm just pointed at the ground and you can just hear everybody coughing and hacking and screaming. And we're walking through, it was my neighborhood where this happened and we're just like walking down the street and I'm like begging my friend, like, please walk faster, please walk faster. I feel like I'm dying. And um, eventually we found the rest of our group and we stopped and I was obviously having a really hard time. And um somebody comes by and gives me an eye wash and washes my eyes out. And uh, someone else comes by and gives me some water to drink. And then, we see the lights go on in the house behind us and we're like, shit, we're about to get kicked off this yard. And it was this man came out and he was like, does anyone need water? Does anyone need milk? And then like everyone goes running up oh. to his door and he starts flushing people's eyes out. And um, and yeah, because there's a fucking war zone going on and there's just people, tons of people just coughing and crying. And for once we weren't like downtown, it was like a neighborhood. And I think people seeing that happen in their own neighborhood And seeing that it wasn't a riot will hopefully change some opinions but anyways that's the kind of shit that happens every night yeah it was worse for us last night because we were so close to the tear gas i know people Mm -hmm. stayed out for hours after we left um yeah but i was just in a lot of pain so i wanted to go home uh but yeah so that's what happened last night they're pigs they're evil they have to be defunded they can't keep just doing this
1: every night because we hurt their feelings something has to fundamentally change and they cannot, we cannot keep going on like this. It's untenable.
0: And and once again, I can at any time decide that like this is too much for me and just go Mm -hmm. back to my life. And no one of color can do that. They can't even be in their own homes um, and be safe from Because you never know when a
1: fucking cop is going to come in and shoot you when you're sleeping.
0: So even though it's just like people's timelines are going back to normal and it's not on the news that doesn't mean the stuff isn't still happening it's still happening every night and it's getting more and more and more violent and more dangerous and the news is doing everything they can to suppress this true narrative of what's actually mm-hmm. happening so um it's really important to start finding people on the ground to follow and just staying engaged and helping people as much as you can anyways that was my diatribe i think we've probably hit our mark here <laughs> i think so um anyways uh um the watermelon woman, hi. <laughs> watermelon woman,
1: hi. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Chest of nice things. Yeah, let's do a chest of nice things. It's been a, it's been a rough couple weeks. It's been so a rough. Let's get some thirty-something days. Um.
0: Yeah. Okay. So for those who don't know, Madison gave me a chest of nice things. Nostalgic musings stuff for like christmas and so as an act of self-love i have to open and read one each time because i hate sentiment i hate people saying sentimental things anyways um and i love saying sentimental i things. hate this one i have never laughed so hard in my entire life as when i spend time with you <sighs> It's pretty gross. <laughs> we were laughing pretty hard. It's pretty gross, I love it. We were laughing pretty hard when we were making up fake Harry Potter titles right before we recorded. That's true. They're pretty stupid. <laughs> one of them is and called one of
1: them's called Uncle's Home. That's book three. <laughs> My favorite one is Swords in the Basement That's Chamber of Secrets.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or everybody's got Shall the secret. Shall we close out? Everybody's got the secret. That's book six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's close up. Uh, you've been listening to Queer Pressure podcasts and our critical explorations of queer media as a continued
1: practice of self-love with Katherine Johnson and Maddie Gray. Hey, you! If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing, following, or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. You have no idea how much it helps small, self-funded podcasts like us to get exposure. You can also follow us on social media. We post memes, new episode announcements, and polls each and every week. If you do want to follow us, search for at Queer Pressure PC on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Once again, that's Queer Pressure PC for podcast. Not for pigs or cunts wow (laughs) coming in hot I like it coming in real hot right at the end (laughs) well thanks for listening everybody uh stay safe out there and drink water and
0: fuck the police goodbye goodbye